Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Wounds. I'm Dr. Laura Swoboda, a professor of translational science, family nurse practitioner, and board certified in wound care. Today we're talking about procedural pain in the wound center. So reducing pain in the wound care population not only improves their quality of life, it can actually accelerate the physiologic processes of healing. So there's a biochemical response that pain exerts and it negatively affects the wound, possibly due to alterations in cortisol and cytokines like catecholamines. Patients that report higher pain scores have been known to exhibit delayed wound healing. So inadequate pain management uh, can delay the wound through its physiologic biochemical processes, but also due to delays in the application of appropriate interventions. Patients who experience uncontrolled pain may not be able to withstand complete surgical debridement. Delayed debridement delays healing time. This is something that has been researched. It's, it's a well-known component of, of healing processes. And delayed debridement also places the patient at risk for negative outcomes, uh, including infection, osteomyelitis, hospitalization, and amputations. Inadequate debridement really potentiates the inflammatory environment of chronic wounds by the continued presence, so you're not debriding, there's still necrotic tissue in there full of proteolytic enzymes, and there's also the bacterial bio-burden that includes biofilms. Surgical debridement also removes senescent cells, preventing the senescence-associated secretory phenotype, which is a positive feedback loop that can be prominent in disease states like diabetes. The senescence-associated secretory phenotype is basically, you have senescent cells in the wound edge or bed, meaning they're sleepy, they're not healing, they're not gonna reproduce, they just sort of sit there until they die. Um, and what they do is they secrete uh, chemical messages that actually turn other cells into senescent cells. So it's a positive feedback loop where the inflammation of the wound environment makes cells senescent, and then more senescent cells make more senescent cells, and it just potentiates the negative wound environment. It's another core concept for why early intervention uh, helps wounds heal faster. So doing a thorough surgical debridement removes necrotic tissue, including biofilms, and also removes those senescent cells. Surgical debridement also prepares the wound bed for other advanced interventions, including negative pressure wound therapies and cellular or, and tissue-based products. Uh, you can't apply most cellular and tissue-based products onto necrotic tissue or large amounts of necrotic tissue in the wound bed, which is the same for negative pressure wound therapy. Some slough, a little bit of eschar maybe in the wound bed is, is okay, but really, unless you're in the inpatient environment with specialized foam and installation, you really need to have the wound bed as clean as possible to pursue, pursue these advanced therapies. Uh, and thorough debridement is a core, core facet of being able to do that. Methods of, of pain control to accomplish these things utilized by wound setters consist of pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic interventions. So pharmacologic methods of pain control include 
opioid analgesics, benzodiazepines, acetaminophen, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs, and topical anesthetics such as lidocaine. A difficulty commonly encountered in wound centers is the concurrent diagnosis of peripheral arterial disease. So this disease state not only decreases tissue perfusion and delays wound healing, it can also prevent the delivery of medications to the desired site. Due to peripheral arterial disease, oral and intravenously administered drugs don't reach their optimal dosing in the wound bed and the surrounding tissues. This is an important uh, concept, not only in pain control, but also in uh, antibiotic administration and sometimes results in extended lengths of therapy um, for targeted organisms in the wound versus if they were growing elsewhere in the body. In the outpatient environment, opioid and benzodiazepine use is limited due to multiple considerations. First of all, it's illegal for patients to drive under the influence of these medications. And in the outpatient environment, patients are often driving themselves to the clinic. Also, many wound patients are elderly and recommendations of the BEERS criteria. The BEERS criteria are evidence-based practice recommendations for prescribing in geriatric patients. So the BEERS criteria uh, includes many opioids and benzodiazepine medications and preclude their use uh, in, this, in elderly geriatric populations. Patients who require chronic use of opioids or benzodiazepines may already have established pain contracts that limit providers outside of their established pain clinic from prescribing medications for them. Often these pain contracts, you know, you can only get your medications from your pain clinic. And if you go outside of the clinic and get, and get a prescription, your pain clinic will terminate their relationship with you. Clinicians should also consider the possibility of abuse and diversion when they're prescribing opioids. Deaths from prescription opioids have nearly tripled since 2001, and hospital visits for acute opioid poisoning, including overdose, have increased over 100%. Opioids carry a high risk of abuse, period. Uh, the U.S. is facing an opioid abuse crisis, and hospitals and providers play an important role in addressing this crisis. Opioid misuse and dependence is higher than, than we thought it was. It's been found to occur in up to 26% of primary care patients taking opioid medications, so chronic opioid medications, which is a huge amount of people. Misuse of prescription opioids and heroin affects more than 11 million Americans. And in 2016, there were more than 60,000 deaths from overdose. Opioids account for more than half of those deaths. So even when they're used as prescribed uh, for the intended effect, opioid medications have significant side effects, uh, any, like any medication does. So the significant side effects we can see with opioids include sweating, pruritus, nausea, constipation, depression, sleepiness, dizziness, respiratory depression, an increased risk of falls, and low levels of testosterone. And actually, over time, patients taking opioid medications can develop an increased sensitivity to pain. 
This is known as opioid-induced hyperalgesia. And you can see it in the wound center. You know, I enter this diagnosis with some frequency for patients taking chronic opioid medications and you barely touch them or even you haven't touched them and they're just, ow, 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 you know, stop. And, and you've barely done anything. So they've, they've actually have an increased sensitivity of pain after chronic use of opioids. So taking all of this into account, the pharmacologic methods that avoid the use of opioids and benzodiazepines are clearly preferred. These uh, include topical lidocaine, we have NSAIDs, and acetaminophen. So acetaminophen is commonly prescribed as a first-line agent for many pain conditions, including wounds, but it's more useful for baseline analgesia. Its use for procedural pain is limited. You have a four gram max per day. I'm more cautious and, and go for three. And then you also have NSAIDs. So NSAIDs can be added to pain regimens. And at higher dosages, they actually exert anti-inflammatory effects, which is useful in patient populations like those with venous leg ulcers. But like any medication, NSAIDs aren't without risk. Uh, their use in wound populations can be limited, again, due to comorbidities in the wound population um, that preclude their use, things like chronic kidney disease and heart disease. So then we're left with lidocaine. So topical and injectable lidocaine is a standard intervention for control of procedural pain in wound centers. And this is due to its safety profile and its ability to prevent or at least limit pain with minimal systemic effects. This has been well studied uh, blood flow to the tissue where lidocaine is being used determines the absorption rate and the plasma level. So taking into account, you know, wound patients with peripheral arterial disease from diabetes or atherosclerotic disease um, can really alter the absorption rate and limit plasma levels. The preparations that are available vary. You have solutions and creams and jellies. And we use lidocaine a lot because it has a desirable onset time period for wound clinics. It can be mixed with prilocaine, which is known as EMLA, to extend the length of analgesia, but this can take a, a longer onset time period. And unless if you have a very large center with enough rooms to house these people waiting for effect of the analgesia, that's not um, as desirable. For procedures that can cause bleeding, that can interfere with the procedure, lidocaine and epinephrine is used with the desired effect being that vasoconstriction, which contributes to hemostasis during the procedure. The safety of lidocaine solution for procedural wound pain has been examined in solutions as high as 10%, uh, but typically use of one to 4% solution is satisfactory for relief of procedural pain, uh, including surgical debridements and negative pressure wound therapy dressing changes. It's difficult to uh, state an exact amount of lidocaine that would need to be used during a procedure, especially like a negative pressure wound therapy dressing change if you're injecting it down the tubing or lifting the dressing and, and applying you know, along the sides of the wound because a lot of that solution is remaining in place in the tubing and the sponge um, and I know that can be frustrating for pharmacists and others who want really more of an exact dosage that the patient is getting, 
but in wound care, it's not always as cut and dry as we would like it to be. So some potential risks um, of topical lidocaine include the potential for lidocaine toxicity. Lidocaine toxicity is an extremely rare, usually self-limited condition, and it can occur if topical lidocaine is inadvertently injected intravascularly and blood levels rise above five micrograms per milliliter. So for this to happen, you need to have, you know, an, an accidental intravascular use and also tissue levels or blood levels rising above a certain amount. Symptoms of lidocaine toxicity are primarily um, in the nervous system. So things like circumoral numbness, tongue paresthesias, dizziness, tinnitus, blurred vision, restlessness, agitation, nervousness, paranoia, muscle twitches, and even seizures. These issues are more commonly encountered in the field of aesthetics and pediatrics, where patients are administering lidocaine in the home, um, so, so it's not being applied by a skilled professional. And they're also applying it over larger body surface areas or even orally to their mucous membranes. And sometimes they're applying this multiple times per day. So the black box warning on lidocaine is in regard to pediatrics, especially less than three years old. And really, unless if you're seeing those types of patients in the wound clinic, it doesn't apply. I would argue it doesn't apply anyways because you're looking at single one-time use for procedural pain that's then removed shortly, you know, 10 minutes or so after application. Um, so these are really very different issues. And in the wound clinic, lidocaine has an extremely favorable safety profile. Looking at non-pharmacologic methods of pain control for wound centers, these are preferred. Obviously, if you don't need to be giving a medication, you don't want to be doing it. And these include distraction, prioritization of less innervated areas during surgical debridement, utilization of non-surgical debridement modalities, atraumatic dressing removal techniques, and low-frequency non-contact ultrasound. Distraction is a very effective, well-studied uh, intervention for pain control. I recommend patients use their phone, play a game, you know, watch a movie, anything to distract them during a procedure. Clinicians can also utilize debridement techniques that prioritize tissue depths and locations with less sensory nerve fibers. So if you begin at the center of the wound where tissue depth is often at its greatest and debride uh, the wound edge at the end where pain can be the greatest, if the patient requests cessation of the procedure because they're in too much pain, more of the wound bed has been treated. Non-surgical modalities of debridement can also be used either as standalone interventions or in concert with surgical debridement. Um, so these can really help address procedural pain. Uh, these include micellular surfactants, enzymes, microfiber pads, ultrasound, and dressings that facilitate autolysis. Looking at non-contact, low-frequency ultrasound, this therapy, it increases perfusion. It's an ultrasound wave that's carried on a mist of saline, which can dilate the arterioles. Um, it also decreases bio burden, including biofilm, 
Um, bacterial cell walls are very rigid, so this ultrasound wave can cause them to lice, limiting the bioburden in the wound, and it also expedites wound healing. So through all of these processes, it's associated with reductions in wound-related pain. Its use is unfortunately limited sometimes uh, due to institutional access, so if you have access to the device, and also insurance approvals. It is an excellent adjunctive therapy when addressing wound pain with the added bonus of expediting wound healing. So something to consider. Procedural pain for wound patients is an extremely important component in the provision of care. As we discussed, it not only improves their quality of life, but actually accelerates the physiologic processes of healing. Wound specialists should avoid the use of benzodiazepines and opioids unless you really have to be using them for people and utilize other pharmaceutical and non-pharmaceutical methods of pain control. Providers have a lot of modalities to choose from with established safety records when they're used appropriately in the wound setter or bedside environment. Thank you.